0: Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your everyday with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code MSheet at ViaHemp.com. That's V I I A H E M P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners.
1: Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery. So last week, you will all remember, in the middle of an episode we released, we mentioned that Kagan Klein was telling a story in which he claimed that he was in a red jeep at the time the murders were being committed by someone else. Since we released that information, there have been a number of questions asked, both about how we got it, about our sources, about how we operate in general, how we decide what to release and not to release, that we thought it would make sense to do an off-the-cuff episode where we first talk about what we released last week in a bit more detail in terms of our process, and then go into a general discussion of our process as we operate every week.
0: My name is Anya Kane.
1: And I'm Kevin Greenlee.
0: And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast.
1: Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders. A 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees.
0: Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes.
1: We're the Murder Sheet, and this is...
0: A Declaration of Principles. We occupy a bit of a strange space within the true crime sphere. You have the fact that we are a podcast. That's the medium that we use to convey our information to our listeners, uh, which is a relatively, relatively new concept within the true crime space. Being a podcaster is is regarded with, I think, some suspicion or, or kind of a you know new media kind of lens that people look through. You're not an established news outlet. You're just a podcast. But at the same time, we conduct ourselves with an ethical standard that I think is adopted by most traditional journalists. So we're kind of journalists who happen to podcast as opposed to podcasters, I would say. And, you know, as such, I think it's important to kind of talk about our process or what we feel kind of we do to kind of maintain some of those standards.
1: Yeah, because there were some comments online last week which made us both realize that there was some misunderstandings out there about how we work. One thing uh, I saw gave me the impression, first of all, that people assume we just have one source. People will say, well, who is Murder Street's source? Who is the source? Who's giving them this information? And I want to make clear we have multiple sources.
0: We have many, many sources.
1: I want to further make clear that no piece of information goes out on this podcast until we have confirmed it independently with at least two separate reliable sources. And by reliable, uh, just to give you an example, all of the communication we've had with Kagan Klein, we shared with you on an episode a few weeks back. But I would say that Kagan Klein, for instance, is not a reliable source. He has a history of lying. So if Kagan Klein were to theoretically tell us, I told the police this particular story, that would not count in our mind as a reliable source. So when we report on something, we get it from two separate Reliable sources. At least. At least.
0: Usually it's more.
1: And also, I'd like to note that we keep our sources anonymous. And so some people seem to think that this means that we don't know who our sources are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is actually a common misconception with anonymous sources writ large in journalism. People think, you know, you're just kind of talking to someone in a darkened parking garage and you're not even sure who they are. But... Any reputable journalist working with anonymous sources verifies said sources, meaning that they know exactly who they are, what their possible agendas are, and, you know, they're able to vet what they say accordingly.
1: Obviously, it would be difficult for us to sit here and say, well, here's how we confirm this source or that source. But maybe we can talk a little bit about how Anya in her day job will confirm sources. Like, sometimes she might get uh, an assignment where she has to talk with people who work at a particular store. So how would you confirm that they are who they say they are?
0: Let's say I'm talking to workers at Target, to use an example. I would ask for... yeah, I, I get a couple of reach-outs, people saying, I work at Target, I'd like to talk to you about this issue. So I can't just talk to those people. Most of the time, they're going to be totally credible, but y- you, you never know that someone could just be... Uh, Mentally ill, or, 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 you know, trying to deceive you to discredit you. So you need to be asking for documentation that they are for real. So I typically would ask for a number of different types of documents. Uh, you know, some sort of uh, indication that they work there. So you might look at a pay stub. You might look at a uh, employee badge that they can send. You might look at Um, photos that they're able to send at work of the employee interface or whatnot Um, and typically you don't want to just rely on one photo or one thing because those could be doctored essentially you want to kind of receive a few different things that you can look at all together and say I feel comfortable that this person is indeed employed at Target currently or if they're a former employee here's the span of their employment, and I can move forward accordingly and speak with them, feeling you know, confident that I know that they are who they say they are. There's a lot of people out there on the internet who are not who they say they are. So you need to be very careful, especially if you're soliciting reach outs. You know, if I'm out there saying, I really want to talk to target employees, you could be making yourself a target for people who just want you to think that you're a target employee. And this does happen. So You have to be very, very cautious because it's your credibility on the line.
1: Yes. And so we really go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that the people we talk to are who they say they are. If a person just sends us an anonymous email with a wild story about Delphi, that's not going to go on the podcast.
0: No, we need we need verification and we need corroboration.
1: That's very crucial in how we operate
0: um you know and we often talk to expert sources as well and and people like that who are able to to help us out in some of these matters
1: uh, i I've, I've also noticed that there are people online who are trying to claim credit or whatever and saying guess what i'm murder sheets source
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh,
1: be very skeptical of things like that cuz first of all <laughs> if someone was comfortable being known as our source.
0: We'd put them on the record.
1: Yes. And I'll say that no one who I've seen publicly identify themselves as our source has in fact been a source for us. And I would also say if someone who had been a source for us publicly identified themselves as a source, we would subsequently mention that on the podcast.
0: Yeah, we would corroborate them. We wouldn't want to leave them hanging. Uh <laughs> In fact, we have a few agreements with with certain sources that, you know, we will acknowledge them if they ever want to be acknowledged.
1: And even the ones we don't have that sort of agreement with, if a person is a source for us and wants to be known as such, we'd certainly share that information with you all.
0: Yes. Uh, There's also been a lot of people who have been, uh, you know, who are more on the content creator side who have been very much bragging about having information before us, but just not. Reporting it to their audience, which I find to be a very interesting and telling thing to brag about because, sort of, the point of journalism is to give information to people, not withhold it, and then acknowledge that you've been withholding it for no apparent reason. Uh, you know, that, that's something that we see a lot of people saying, well, it's irresponsible to put out information about the case. And we could not disagree uh, <laughs> anymore with that assessment. I think that sunshine is a very good disinfectant, typically, in, in a situation like this, especially when you have years of secrecy and innuendo flourishing online. Um, having some actual information about what's going on in this case, I think, is helpful and it does put pressure on the situation, I think, in a way that's helpful. And that's what we've heard from people who would know such things. So when when you have people saying you should just sit on everything, on every detail, or forever um you know i think a good question is why w- what what exactly would that piece of information do that would be harmful to the case kevin and i have always been very very open about being amenable to hold back information if it makes sense but but just holding up your hands and screaming hold back everything that's that's not that's not how this should
1: work We put a lot of thought into what we release and how we release it and if there is any way a certain bit of information would harm the case we keep it back especially if we're not even certain that the information is all that important or worthwhile this this detail about kagan and the red jeep uh A lot of information about that had been circulating among certain people for a while, and I believe it would be fair to say that for a lot of people, that source of information could be traced back to Kagan-Klein himself, and I won't go into any more detail than that. So, first of all, the problem there is Kagan-Klein is not a reliable source, So if he tells you something, if he tells you I was sitting in a red Jeep, first of all, you don't know whether or not that's true. And second of all, if he says, I told someone else I was sitting in a red Jeep, you don't even know if he's telling the truth about whether or not he said it. And so you will note we did not report that Kagan Klein told people he told police this. We said Kagan Klein told police this. And I'll also note that we had noticed that there were references to red Jeep and such beginning to appear out there. And so the concern became this information was certainly going to be made public. And so how it was made public seemed to be important to us. We thought that some people might potentially blow it out of proportion and do a two- or three-hour YouTube extravaganza. Kagan Klein says this or Kagan Klein says that. Or
0: treating it like a confession.
1: Or treating it like a confession. And our view was, at its heart, this is just another story told by someone with a known history of lying. That's why when we revealed that information... We didn't lead off the podcast with it. We put it, I think, in the middle of the podcast, and we prefaced it with a lot of talk saying, this may not be true. This guy has a history of lying. Please consider all of that when you evaluate this information.
0: Yes. So sometimes in media matters, in in media circles, the the idea that, How you report information is almost as important, if not more important, than what the information is. Especially in a case like Delphi, where you have people who are just sort of in the business of rumor mongering and putting out stuff that is not true or very vaguely related to the truth. And so... Being able to put that out there, but also qualify it appropriately, I think was important to us where it's it's leaking out slowly. Maybe we could put it out in a more responsible way than it might be otherwise covered. There has been a lot of irresponsible coverage in this case. I'm sure that comes as no surprise to, to people who are um, familiar with it, but it's certainly disheartening whenever it happens and... If there's something that you can do as a creator to nip that in the bud, then that's something we're interested in doing. And we always have been.
1: And now that we've talked about some of the specifics about what we released last week, we're going to uh, take a quick break and then we're going to come back and discuss general principles of how we operate. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be.
0: For so many of us, lifestyle changes, like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises, are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin So recently, I put together a declaration of principles for the murder sheet. What I hope this document will do is basically answer people's questions about our process, how we work, how we gather information, and sort of the providence of our reporting, Um, you know, partially due to kind of ridiculous criticism from people who, you know, have contributed nothing to understanding of the Delphi case or any other case. But partly, I think, due to just a curiosity about how we do our work, we've gotten a lot of questions about this. And I figured putting it in writing allows everybody to sort of see what we stand for, see what we're going for. And, um, you know, we, we're big believers in accountability. So this gives you an opportunity to sort of see what we are putting out there that, of what we want to do. And then you can sort of have a sense of what what our sort of guiding values are. Um, I will link to the document in our show notes and, uh, we'll be sharing it on, you know, our Facebook group. So, so everyone can see it, but what we'll do is we'll go through and read each of the kind of bullet points that I put together. And then Kevin and I will sort of have an organic discussion about each one, what it means to us. That'll hopefully that'll enrich your understanding of sort of who we are, what we're doing, and how we do our jobs basically
1: and in the future when anyone has questions about or how do they use just one source do they do this or do they do that we can just send them the link to this just, episode just
0: tap the sign <laughs> um so here's my little my little preface anya kane and kevin greenlee founded the murder sheet in 2020 We view the podcast as a platform for our investigative journalism and in-depth analysis on the topic of homicide cases. We are committed to upholding journalistic ethics throughout our process, from news gathering to publishing reports. Our high journalistic standards are reflected in the fact that we have become a widely cited source in local, regional, and national news outlets. The following is our declaration of the principles that we hold ourselves to in the course of producing and publishing The Murder Sheet. So number one, we are committed to pursuing the truth. We strive to publish reports that are truthful, fair, and accurate. We rely on reputable sources, on-the-record sources, confidential sources, and expert sources, court and police files, documents obtained through records requests and through sources, other forms of documentary evidence, and credible news reports for our journalism. We will never publish reports based on unverified, uncorroborated information from a single source. We verify sources by confirming their identities. We corroborate stories by obtaining information from multiple sources while avoiding any leading questions in the process. Alternatively, we can corroborate stories by reviewing documentary evidence in some cases. When speculating, we state that we are engaging in informed speculation— and not stating outright facts. When we present information that is impossible to corroborate or verify, then we will identify that as such. In the event we publish an inaccurate report, we are committed to correcting the record. So I put all that first, the first kind of portion of this document, because obviously the ultimate pursuit of journalism is finding the truth. What is the truth of a matter? And, Fairly and accurately putting that together in a way that the audience can understand the truth and learn from it, essentially.
1: Yes. And as we mentioned earlier, you really need to talk to more than one person when you're trying to determine the truth, the falsity of a specific claim. And so we always do that.
0: It's not even a matter of not trusting a single person. It's just a matter of maybe Kevin witnesses a fire and from his perspective it went down one way but then people on the other side of the street saw it start a different way so he had the wrong perception even though he was trying to be honest it's just a matter of things are so complicated especially in a crime story that it's important to get more than one person and it's important to sort of check people's stories essentially you know Oftentimes, we're not going to go into all the work we do finding out additional corroboration or verification, because if we did that, it would completely blow uh, sources that we promised anonymity and confidentiality to. So we're not going to take that risk. We're not going to take you through how the sausage is made always, because that could potentially endanger people uh, on some level, people who've put their trust in us. To tell their stories, but you can rest assured that when we are when we are doing our reporting, it's not a matter of just calling up one guy and then running with it.
1: Or it's certainly not a matter of receiving an email from an anonymous address and saying, "Oh boy, this is a hot story. Let's do a special live episode."
0: And there are people who do that. I mean, there are people who absolutely do that. So I think it's fair for people to say, are you doing that as well? And the answer is no.
1: And we're not. And even last weekend, there were some rumors circulating on the Internet that uh, an arrest had been made. And so a number of people went live and did special shows and episodes. And uh, you will know we did not.
0: Yeah, we're never going to just, you know... (laughs) It's really important the quality of information you're putting out there. And our credibility is important to us. Our reputation is important to us. So we would rather be late and not have a a scoop, so to speak, than get something that wrong. Okay, let's get to our next point on the declaration.
1: We are fiercely independent. Editorial control of the murder sheet will rest solely with Anya Kane and Kevin Greenlee. We will look with a fair but critical eye towards entities that we report on, such as law enforcement and the true crime industry as a whole. We are fearless when reporting on powerful entities and individuals. We seek to hold the powerful accountable. Again, uh, I think this is largely uh, self-explanatory. When you listen to this podcast, you get our thoughts, you get our journalism, you get the results of work we've done. There's no editor or corporation behind us telling us, oh, you can't do this or you'll lose advertisers. Should we move on to the next point?
0: Yeah, let's do it. We work to ensure that we are not harming cases with our journalism. When reporting on an active case, we work with law enforcement and other entities to determine and assess the risks or lack thereof of publishing specific pieces of information. We are not swayed by blanket statements discouraging any and all journalism on a specific case. That being said, we take into consideration requests that specific information be held back, provided an explanation is given about how and why said information could be damaging. Hold back requests that concern personal safety of law enforcement personnel, witnesses, or other individuals will be deemed especially important. Hold back requests that could impact the possible outcome of a case will also be deemed extremely important. So this is an important facet of this whole thing for me, because you often hear a lot of hue and cry in true crime Internet circles about basically, you know, you, you mentioned the case in, in your reporting and you've you've jeopardized the whole thing. I think people have this perception that's not based in reality that every single case is a very very fragile thing that could collapse at the slightest glance essentially that's not true that's not how that's not how law and journalism work frankly and i think this kind of language has just been co-opted by people who want to use it to cudgel people they don't like in the same space you know how dare you how dare you report on this you've harmed the case there's very rarely any specific ...legal statute or circumstance that they are citing when accusing you of such a thing. Um, And I think that's very telling, and people should be asking critical questions like, how exactly does this harm the case? Um, But I think it's important to note that we do envision instances where putting out information could be pretty problematic. Uh,
1: And not only do we envision it, I think there are instances where we have come across information that we certainly agree would be damaging to the case or to the prosecution of the case or the continued work on the case if we were to reveal it.
0: And every time we have sat on it. <laughs> yes. Um, but we do not just accept blanket statements of, well, we'd rather nobody report on this case. Because that's not reasonable either. You know, there, there's there's room for compromise, but there's not room for just saying buzz off. Nobody nobody do any journalism on this because, you know, that you know. I mean, because you have to wonder when, when requests for people just looking the other way are made, what is the motivation with that? Because as far as we can consider it, you know, crimes that are being adjudicated, crimes that are under investigation, those are works undertaken by public entities that are accountable to U.S. citizens. And as long as that's the case, then people should, you know, people do have a right to know what is going on, what the resources of the public are being spent on and, and and how things are going and are people actually being held accountable for the murders or, or things just are, are the wheels spinning, so to speak. But we also see the other side of it. We've interviewed Many, many detectives in many different cases. We've interviewed law enforcement personnel. We've interviewed attorneys. So we understand that people who are working to bring justice in a case do have difficult jobs. And if 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 we're hearing things that things could uh, be problematic if they were released in a certain way or released carelessly, then that's something we are very open to. This is not just the Delphi case, by the way. We have obtained information about Numerous other cases that I can think of off the top of my head where, you know, I can I can think of one instance where, you know, people might say something off the cuff in an interview and we've been pretty nice and not included it because it would have been highly disruptive to what they were trying to do. So um, we really try to be fair minded about this without also being people who are just carrying water for powerful interests.
1: Shall we move on to the next point? Let's do it. We uphold strict standards regarding sourcing. We rely on numerous sources to gather news. We allow sources to remain anonymous if the individual source's decision to go on the record could prompt them to face legal, professional, or personal repercussions for speaking to the press. We minimize harm by being candid with potential sources who are not public figures about possible negative repercussions that could come from going public. We verify the identity of anonymous sources before citing them on the program. When using anonymous sources in our reporting, we verify and corroborate stories and details with several sources before publishing said information. We protect our sources. We will not engage with anyone attempting to guess our sources. In situations where publicly or privately answering questions about a confidential source could jeopardize said source, we will err on the side of protecting the source. If a verified confidential source is concerned that their voice could be recognized, we will instead record a transcript of their comments. We will explain definitions around different levels of attribution to our sources. On the record. The source talking on the record is consenting to be named on the program and for their voice to be recorded and published on the program. On background. A source talking on background will not be named in the program. Depending on the source's level of comfort, their voice may or may not be recorded for use in the program. The information they provide may be used in the program, stripped of identifying details. Off the record a source talking off the record will not be named. The information they provide will not be used in the program unless their explicit permission is given at a later date. If a source is found to have knowingly lied to the murder sheet about information, all agreements around their confidentiality may be considered void.
0: So, yeah, this is a pretty important section, especially considering people's questions about our methods in the Delphi case around sources. As we said at the top, people seem to think that anonymous sources are just randos who show up in your inbox and you don't verify and you just run with. And in our cases, we know our anonymous sources very well. <laughs> uh, and hopefully all of this is pretty self-evident, but by employing these methods, we're essentially ensuring that we're not taken advantage of by some rogue person with an agenda who wants to hide behind anonymity in order to steer the case in a specific direction. By having it be a situation where we are corroborating and confirming and verifying and, you know, better understanding the case, we feel like that protects against the fear that people seem to have, which is that we basically have one anonymous source who's just... Sending us all in a wild goose chase. You know, I think people, they're aware of the basics of a story like Watergate, where you have two journalists, Woodward and Bernstein of the New York, of the uh, Washington Post, uh, meeting in a darkened parking garage with one source deep throat, aka Mark Felt of the FBI, and they're thinking, oh, it's just like that. But typically in those stories, you know, even Woodward and Bernstein had to call up other people to confirm and corroborate things. You know, they're not, you can't just rely on one person. You can't um, safely go to the public with that because it could just turn out to be a bunch of lies. So, no, when you hear people saying, well, I have a source saying this, or I have a source saying that, or my source, you know, it, it matters less about one great big source that you have, and it matters more about, like, the source says you have cultivated over time that you can kind of bounce things off of and that's what we've established in our reporting on the delphi case in our reporting on the burger chef case uh and what we strive to have in pretty much all of the cases we cover is is at the very least if it's an open and active case have multiple people be telling us things because otherwise it's kind of there's no point in in doing it shall we move on We aspire to be a professional and compassionate voice in crime reporting. Whenever possible, we strive to foster connections with victims' family members and loved ones, survivors of crime, law enforcement, journalists, and subject matter experts in order to sensitively report on cases. We also strive to reach out to and connect with victims' family members and loved ones as well as survivors of crime whenever possible to alert them to developments in our reporting. We avoid victim-blaming and needlessly offensive language when discussing cases. We include content warnings in our material. We employ a fair and journalistic tone in our work, both scripted and unscripted. Whenever we are reporting on institutions or individuals, we will reach out to give the institution or individual an opportunity to share their side of the story. All of this speaks to an interest in maintaining professional standards as you would have at any news outlet. So all of this is kind of courtesy to different people within the course of reporting that you're going to come up against. And in crime reporting, we feel that is especially important given that you're talking about homicides, which means that, you know, somebody has been killed. You're talking about the worst days of people's lives. So By trying to reach out to people and open lines of communication with a variety of different um, people within within who are affected by a crime, essentially, hopefully we are treading lightly then, you know, as opposed to just sort of bumbling into things. Uh, And, you know, when when you're talking about reporting on, on different people, you know, one thing that's the mark of somebody who's not practicing journalism very well. Or or at all is if they release information, you know, especially negative information attacking people without even first running it by the person and saying, hey, let me get your side of the story. That is one thing we always strive to do when reporting on people or institutions is saying, here's what we are going to report. Do you have a comment for us or would you be available for an interview in which you address some of these things? that is that is how journalism is done it's called no surprises journalism and and that's the way we try to roll in our reporting i would say
1: so let's move on we support journalists we view ourselves as news gathering partners for local regional and national journalists rather than competitors we see journalists as our peers When other journalists ask for documents or other materials that we have gathered and released, we provide them with that information whenever possible. We maintain connections with other journalists to discuss the facts of the cases we cover. We will cite, either verbally or in writing, our sources when we rely on the work of other journalists. Basically, whether people cite it or not, the true backbone of the true crime podcasting space is the work of local journalists. These are the people that go out there and gather information. And that's what we try to do. We try to go out and gather information ourselves.
0: Frankly, if I'm being completely candid, I feel that most listeners would be better served by following local journalists than by following a lot of true crime podcasts because it's basically putting a chatty spin on work that has already been completed by other people. And I don't really know what the value add is there. We try to add a value when we're doing our, our reporting and try to do original reporting whenever possible, or at the very least, lend some sort of media or legal analysis to our work where we're adding a value to it. But um, I think that you, I, I I, have a lot of respect for the work that lo- local journalists do. And we've been very fortunate to get to connect with some of them. And they're very impressive at what they do, which is gathering a lot of information on some of these cases. And I think that's, that's who we see as our peers.
1: To be honest, some of the best true crime podcasts that are out there are ones you may not have heard of they are being done by local journalists who go really into the meat and details of a case.
0: A hundred percent. They're passion projects. They're, and they're at a local level done by people who know what they're talking about. I would say that um yeah this is this is sort of where to reemphasize we see ourselves as journalists with a podcast. You know, we're we're practicing journalism, we're holding ourselves to journalistic standards and we're ensuring that we are getting you quality information on the cases that we do cover. And we are going to hold ourselves to that and that's why we're putting it all in writing so that you could see it for yourselves and you understand this, but we'd also like our listeners to understand that you know we're not going to be answering a bunch of intrusive questions that could jeopardize a source you know any source because when you are a journalist and you pledge that you are going to protect your sources that has to mean something and it can't mean walking right up to the line of admitting who's helping you uh so that they can get you know take the fall for the whole thing so uh when when people have questions in the future, hopefully we can pass them along this this uh, sheet of uh, different bullet points that we've compiled. And of course, if there's anything we missed or anything that we want to add in the in the future, we'll amend amend the declaration essentially. But for now, hopefully it's a good accounting of of how we see ourselves and how we um will have done our work so far and how we will continue to do our work in the future. We don't think that we are above getting people asking questions about how we're doing things. And we understand that what we're doing is a little bit different from a lot of people in the space. So, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable and we're, and we're glad people have questions for us because that you should be asking questions of the media that you are consuming, especially in a serious case and especially in a case that is so awash in misinformation constantly to the extent that Delphi is. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murder sheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murder sheet. Thanks for the interest.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com.
0: To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.